This program is a paid commercial announcement from Jacob Media Partners and does not reflect the views of WPHT or its management. Your radio doctor does not recommend or endorse any specific tests, physicians, products, procedures, opinions, or other information that may be mentioned on your radio doctor. Always consult your own physician. Today's program has been pre-recorded. When Recovery Centers of America at Devon opened its campuses on the main line and in South Jersey, they offered a new approach, local addiction treatment led by an expert caring team of professionals. RCA has since helped thousands and leads the way in innovative programs and exceptional inpatient and outpatient care, all in a beautiful setting that allows for healing and recovery. RCA answers the phone and admits patients 24-7, 365, including the holidays. All admitted patients and staff are routinely tested for COVID-19. Call now at 1-888-RECOVERY. That's 1-888-RECOVERY. Talk Radio 1210. WPHT, WPHT, HD, WOGL, HD3, Philadelphia. From the Cherry Hill Volvo Studios, where relationships matter. It's time for the Delaware Valley's first radio doctor. On call every Sunday morning at 10. This is your radio doctor with Dr. Marianne Ritchie. Presented exclusively by Independence Blue Cross. Listen, seven months or 10 months is an absolutely exceptional, exceptionally short time frame to produce this vaccine. Your health determines your life, your longevity, and your happiness. Let your radio doctor lead the way with your medical education. Your radio doctor, Dr. Marianne Ritchie. Good morning, and welcome to your radio doctor. I'm your host, Dr. Marianne Ritchie. We continue our series on diabetes today with two outstanding guests. First, we'll be joined by Lindsay Fortis from JVRF, Juvenile Diabetes Research Foundation. She's the executive director of the Greater Delaware Valley Chapter, and will enjoy a return visit from Dr. Marie McDonnell, nationally recognized endocrinologist from Harvard Medical School, and will discuss diabetes in the presence of other conditions, such as pregnancy, how it affects fertility, eating disorders, and COVID. Lindsay, welcome. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much, Dr. Ritchie, for having me um, join your program today. Now, most of our listeners know JDRF, just to repeat for them, Juvenile Diabetes Research Foundation. And we've been speaking for the past few weeks that type 1 diabetes is the newer term for it. But your mission is to find better treatments, prevention, of course, and ultimately a cure for type 1 diabetes. How do you go about that? Your mission is awesome. Well, thank you. Um, yes, we, we did start off as the Juvenile Diabetes Foundation. Um, and um, have changed to the acronym of JDRF just because there is that misconception that type 1 diabetes is only a childhood disease or, and also to acknowledge that nearly 85% of people living with the disease are over 18. Um, we find the strategies for the prevention, better treatments, and ultimately the cure by funding the research that's much needed, advocating for policies to ensure that all have access to these new therapies that we are funding and providing a support network for millions of people around the world impacted by type 1 diabetes. Mm -hmm. And I read your website that's so well done. Some websites are so easy to navigate, and yours is one of them. I love the community forum that connects people from all over the world. Tell us a little about that, if you would. Sure. So, yes, through JDRF.org, which is our um, international organization's website, there's many opportunities to... um, 
to get involved, um, but also to provide or to get the resources and support that our community needs. Our JDRF outreach program provides those living with and affected by type 1 diabetes with a compassionate community and valuable resources, whether newly diagnosed or during the different life stages. Um, One of the first ways families and adults typically engage with JDRF is by receiving um, some of these resources, such as our Bag of Hope program, um, our JDRF No Limits Teen Care Kit or Adult Care Kit that we have for those who are newly diagnosed. Um, Our Bag of Hope, it's a backpack that provides resources and information for the whole family, um, as well as a little um, Rufus the Teddy Bear where children can practice giving their shots. Um, Parents can practice as well, um, but it helps to take away some of the scariness of needles and and, um, especially with the young children. Um, But these care kits have certainly uh, provided great encouragement during um, an overwhelming uh, overwhelming time um, during the start of a diagnosis journey. Um, And I'm sure you keep in in touch too, sorry to interrupt, but telehealth and uh, telecommunication has helped so much. Social distancing um, is different from physical distancing. You can still be connected with your, your, all the people involved. Absolutely. We actually have a T1D Connections program, which is a mentor program, essentially, um, where we pair newly diagnosed um, caregivers or adults uh, with a outreach volunteer. And this outreach volunteer truly helps them at the start of the diagnosis, walks them through the process, answers questions, but is truly that support, even if it's just to listen to someone vent, cry, um, or need someone to talk to. Um, during COVID, we actually started monthly and bi-monthly virtual meetups um, that has provided great support group opportunities um, for kids, teens, parents, and adults. So that's been a great um, addition um, that was necessary during the um, during during the pandemic. Adapt to survive, and your two big events each year. And what I love is that you already emphasized you want to help the person affected by the diabetes, but their family too. Everybody's in it together, especially if you want the the patient to succeed. The JDRF walks that are all over the country, all over the world, and the JDRF gala. Can you tell us a little bit of uh, each of those? Sure. So these are two of JDRF flagship events. Um, Our JDRF One Walk, there's typically about 150 of these across the country each year. Um, For the Greater Delaware Valley chapter, uh, we have essentially five um, in the fall seasons. Um, But this is a great opportunity to engage family, friends, your companies uh, to support a great cause. uh, And it's a great community event. And then our JDRF Gala, uh, again, across the country, Black Tie Affair. Um, And very thrilled to say that for our Greater Delaware Valley chapter, we will be in person again this upcoming April um, and expecting to raise over $1.2 million. It's incredible, the work you do, and it's 24-7 around the clock, and you have a diabetes helpline, which, as you say, aside from the patient, family members who are and, you know, worried or they come across a situation they've never seen before. JDRF, for our listeners, Juvenile Diabetes Research Foundation, you're trying to create a world without diabetes. Website again, Lindsay, jdrf.org. Visit the website, my friends. Tell someone with type 1 diabetes who needs support that JDRF exists, and you can help too. Donate your time as a volunteer. Send a few dollars, jdrf.org. Lindsay, last words? 
I just want to thank you for getting the word out about JDRF, especially as it is National Diabetes Awareness Month. So truly appreciate this partnership. And um, yes, JDRF.org is a great first, uh, first stop for anybody wanting more information or to reach out to their local chapter to get involved. So thank, thank you, you for your great work, including the, the help you've given my own family members. Take care. Yes, absolutely. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Your Radio Doctor with Dr. Marianne Ritchie, exclusively presented by Independence Blue Cross. If you have a question for the medical mailbag, just send a note to doctor at yourradiodoctor.net. And welcome back to Your Radio Doctor. We're so grateful for the return of Dr. Marie McDonald, Associate Professor at Harvard Medical School, Chief of Diabetes Section in the Division of Endocrinology at Brigham and Women's Hospital, nationally recognized, has a leadership role in the Endocrine Society. Her research focuses on treatment of diabetes in the hospital and in the office, and she also has a special interest in patients who face both diabetes and cancer. Now, in our last show with Dr. McDonald, we've talked about the types of diabetes, possible complications. Today, our focus is on treatment, how it affects fertility and pregnancy, risks of eating disorders, and how it interacts with COVID. Welcome, Marie. Thank you so much for joining us again. Thanks, Marianne. It's great to be with you. Now, you have a special interest in tailoring treatment plans for each individual or precision Mm -hmm. care. Tell us about that, if you would. Yeah, sure. And I like the the term precision care. Some people have heard precision medicine, which often does refer mostly to um, genetic genetics and having genetics drive the choice of a therapy, which really applies, uh, unfortunately, still mostly to cancer and not to many other areas of medicine. But until we get there, pre- precision care is really you know we have so many different strategies for treating type. 2 diabetes that uh, and and we know that it's a progressive disease so patients often do need two to three medications uh, within the first five years even certainly within the first 10 years and and our job as clinicians is really to choose the right treatment for the patient considering both side effects and and what we call perks or some benefits or outcomes of the drug that that would benefit a particular patient weight loss is a good example or improving cardiac outcomes in somebody with who already has heart disease. Mm-hmm. So I guess it depends on their base when you see them at the start, what other comorbidities do they already have, et cetera. So it makes perfect sense. Mm-hmm. So diabetes and pregnancy, we talk about those patients who are already diagnosed with pre-gestational, either type one or type two, and we separate them from people who develop during pregnancy or gestational. Let's start with Mm-hmm. Type one and type two, are yep, the sure. are, are, is type one or type two uh, more likely to cause side effects or, or risk? Tell us about that if you would. Yeah, sure. So what we know is that high blood sugar is is like it's a teratogen. A teratogen is a term we use for any kind of toxin that could impact a baby's development and put the baby at risk of having a malformation, you know, something we, we call a, genetic, a congenital malformation. And, and so we all know, you know, some of the toxins in the environment and uh, we, we teach women to avoid mercury and things like that. Glucose, high sugar, is on the list of teratogens. So it really makes a difference when you are coming into the pregnancy already with high blood sugar because the baby's forming right away and that that special organogenesis or the formation of 
all the part body parts is really happening in the first trimester, which is until 13 weeks. And so uh, women who already have diabetes are at that disadvantage. Um, and what I always say about about that is that what women with diabetes or pre-gestational diabetes need is time. That's what they need um, to prepare for pregnancy uh, because it takes time to get under really good control. So you're entering, you know, the baby's entering an environment right away that is reasonable and, and safe. Um, yeah. And and sometimes women conceive and they're not aware till uh, the six or seven mm. week point when they miss their period. But so your suggestion is allow at least three to six months, say, for optimal control before you send a letter to the stork and really yeah. get your body and and <laughs> if you can, I mean that's not always possible. And, and maybe yeah. what would would you give a target uh, hemoglobin A one C level? That's right. Yeah, we target uh, less than six point five for sure, less than six if possible, mm -hmm. and that's only because we we try to give um, the mom and baby the opportunity to to have as normal a pregnancy as possible. And we know a normal A1C is certainly below 6%. Mm -hmm. um, but we, we counsel women, we don't want them to hurt themselves along the way. And so we, they, the point is, if a woman is of reproductive age um, and they have diabetes, you know, she really does need to ask for help and prepare for that pregnancy and use birth control until she's where she needs to be. Mm -hmm. So yeah. I guess like some of the type one patients we talked about that last week, they're more likely to have this, the tiny vessel damage and we worry about their kidneys and nerve damage and such. Whereas somebody who's type two, even though they have milder disturbances in their sugar counts and their A1Cs, they might be more likely to be overweight or a little bit older. So both are at risk. Yes. Yes, for sure. Uh, that's right. And we do know that women with type 1 diabetes, uh, most of the data comes from that group showing that um, babies are at higher risk of a heart malformation, which is mm. the most common malformation related to high blood sugar. But the good news is that's completely modifiable by con blood sugar control. Um, in, in type 2, women, you're right, the, the, issues relate, the issues we see there are more related to high cholesterol, high blood pressure, and obesity, and those really do increase the risk of um, problems like preeclampsia, uh, certainly preterm delivery, and, and large for gestational age babies, uh, which of course we see um, in all forms of diabetes and pregnancy, and it's something that uh, we work to uh, avoid by helping mm -hmm. women control so their sugar. So maybe some of the more common issues in patients with any type of diabetes with the pregnancy itself are, you know, we look back uh, for those of us who have had children and the first thing that jumps up estrogen, progesterone as a GI doc, I always explain to my women patients, that is public enemy number one. It turns your I-95 off. So your stomach and your bowel empties more slowly. And that's why mm -hmm. women get sick in the first trimester, right? Their progesterone's flying. You put that meal in your stomach, doesn't move forward. We talked about that before. It's it's a relative type of gastroparesis or slow stomach. And if a patient's back and already has that, gee whiz, add the progesterone. These poor women, they're trying to nourish the baby and themselves. They're more likely to have vomiting on top of vomiting, et cetera. Mm -hmm. High sugars, low sugars. Tell us a little about that. 
No, it's true. Um, you know, we, we do hope that these these women are young enough that they don't have advanced um, autonomic neuropathy, which is what causes gastroparesis, but we do see it. And we see women who already have retinal disease as well as nerve disease. When they become pregnant, um, it, it becomes more difficult. We do have to monitor the back of the eyes more carefully. That can, sometimes retinal disease can get worse in pregnancy. And like you said, gastroparesis, it's sort of adding fuel to the fire there. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and we help women by modifying their diet. Nutritionists are incredibly important um, for helping women with diabetes manage their diabetes, manage their blood sugars and also just know what to eat. Exactly. Um, super hard sometimes yeah yeah so i guess we could categorize possible complications or risk a the pregnancy itself b the uh baby and development and long term and then the mom so we talked about um miscarriage is possible maybe a two or three times higher with pre-gestational diabetes. And you mentioned preeclampsia. Our listeners know that means high blood pressure that can be dangerous and cause stroke and heart attack, premature delivery, uh, C-section. I was very heartened when we chatted the other day and you said that uh, death of the baby is so unlikely nowadays with better support Mm -hmm. and all those good things. Tell us about those complications. Yeah, that's right. To to be perfectly frank, the number one thing that we're trying hardest to avoid in pregnancy when women come into the pregnancy with diabetes is fetal demise or the, the baby dying after 20 weeks, which of course is incredibly devastating. It's very rare, but it is more likely to happen when the glucose, when the sugar control is high. So how do we how do we mitigate that? We we bring women with diabetes will be the first to tell you they had to come in so frequently to get an ultrasound and a non-stress test. The monitoring is pretty intense in the United States uh, and actually in the Western world um, for women with diabetes because we just want to see if the baby is having trouble. We want to see it early. So sugar control, sugar control, sugar control, preterm births or early, you know, delivery increases the baby's risk for respiratory distress syndrome. And you already mentioned um, uh, small for gestational age if a baby's born and is too small. Uh, now that's less common than babies who are born uh, the macrosomia or larger babies that over 90% weight or mm-hmm. 4,000 grams. Tell us about those two distinctions if you would. Yeah, right. So we do think the placenta might not develop normally in some women with high blood sugar. So then that leads to small for gestational or or fetal growth restriction. Um, More commonly, like you mentioned, is macrosomia or large for gestational age women, uh, babies who are um, estimated fetal weight above the 90th percentile. Mm -hmm. Um, Some people think it should be more like 97th percentile, actually, because babies in the 90 90 percentile, they often do very well. Mm -hmm. Uh, We don't want to make a mountain out of this molehill, but we know that those babies are at higher risk of developing childhood obesity um, and diabetes. Sure. But in the moment, too, when delivery time comes, we don't want the baby to get what's known as shoulder dystocia or when with regular vaginal delivery, that little guy, they're so Mm. cute when they're pudgy, but it makes delivery harder. And so that diabetic mom is more likely to need a C-section, which is surgery, et cetera. So all those things come into play. And um, talking about the possible loss of the baby, 
the rise starts to happen when the A1C jumps into the six range, right? Over six to 6.9. So it's a good yeah, metric we, to follow. Mm-hmm. That's true. And miscarriage rates go up then. But um, yeah, it, we, the fetal loss we see when, when the sugars are even higher. So mm-hmm. yeah. It's a good metric to follow. Let's take a little break and we'll be right back and continue our discussion on diabetes and pregnancy. Today's edition of Your Radio Doctor with Dr. Marianne Ritchie, presented exclusively by Independence Blue Cross, can be enjoyed anytime, anywhere, at your convenience. Just download the Odyssey app and search Your Radio Doctor. It's health education on demand. And we're talking to Dr. Marie McDonald. Marie, we were talking about long-term issues for a child who's born to a, a mother with diabetes. Their risk of diabetes and obesity is, is increased. Tell us about the dad's diabetic status. Yeah, so uh, we do know that this is a unique to type 1 diabetes where we see um, dad having type 1 diabetes actually uh, portends or, or transmits more risk to the baby for future diabetes, type one diabetes than mom. And so some, some people will would talk about this being imprinting or, or um, something unique about um, the admixture of genes um, and, and the autoimmune risk uh, that we don't quite understand. Autoimmune disease is still something mysterious in medicine, but it does look like dad having type one diabetes is a higher risk factor than, than mom. Um, now, type 2 diabetes is, we, we see sort of equal distribution between mom and dad. So if dad had has type 2 diabetes and there's fam- family family history in that side of the family, that has this, an equal impact on the baby developing diabetes. And this is mm-hmm. in the setting of the baby being born a normal weight. But mm-hmm. if a baby is born large for gestational age, regardless of um, the paternal and maternal familial history, the risk is about 40% of uh, 40% increased risk of developing obesity, and it's about 20% increased risk of developing diabetes. So if you add the di- the the um, the familial history, uh, you know ki- kids are up to four times higher risk of developing diabetes if um, if they're born large and mom had diabetes. Layers and layers. So layers you know, and layers. The, uh, the other concern people talk about, but there has been no direct evidence to suggest that autism is directly linked to diabetes in the mom, be it pre-gestational mm-hmm. or gestational, which is good to know. And the mom is at risk. We talked about some of the things already. If a type 1 diabetic mom um, has glucose out of control, she risks episodes of hypoglycemia, diabetic ketoacidosis, and progression of kidney disease, eye disease, even heart failure. So those goals that we like to talk about, keeping their A1C at 6.5 or lower, and really try to get that in in order before thinking about conception. Um, And in terms of treating, you jump to insulin for both type one and type two, don't you, during pregnancy or no? Oh yeah, great question. Uh, yes, the answer is yes. That is the standard practice. Um, I, you know, the, we do have some safety data with two oral agents, two pills for type twos, or I'm sorry, really for gestational diabetes. Um, so we didn't talk about that specifically yet. So uh, let me just answer your question directly. Type one, type two, pre-gestational, those women need insulin, 100 percent. 
Um, but women who develop diabetes in the middle of their pregnancy, this is the classical gestational, just totally different. Uh, we, we, some, there is some data you can use some oral medications. It's just, we consider that second line. And as you said, see a dietitian. you have two lives at risk here, the developing baby, it's not his or her fault. Treat them the way they deserve to be treated. See a dietitian because you need higher doses of folate. You need higher doses of iodine. So how would you know that? And if you are at risk for low blood sugars or high mm -hmm. blood sugars, carry it, have a script for glucagon, the injection you use uh, if you get too low. So gestational diabetes, the diabetes that pops up in the middle of your pregnancy. Mm -hmm. Should we talk about the risk factors for that? What puts a woman at higher risk? Yes, that's great. So the number one risk is um, a prior uh, pregnancy with gestational diabetes, actually. Um, and, and those women tend to be on sort of the pathway to future diabetes, so we can talk a bit about that. But other risk factors are family history of diabetes type 2, um, obesity, and uh, actually overweight pre pre-pregnancy will increase the risk. Age, uh, age over 30 or 35, depending on the studies, will increase the risk or the likelihood. Uh, and then some ethnic groups are much more likely to develop gestational diabetes. Um, so African-American women and uh, women of Hispanic ethnicity tend to have higher risk hmm. as well. And then PCOS comes up, polycystic ovary syndrome or Stein Leventhal. I had to pull that out of a dark corner of my brain <laughs> that we memorized uh, 30 years right. ago. That seems to bump a woman's risk, or are they interchangeable mm -hmm. risk of obesity and um, abnormal periods and right. uh, high levels of androgen that and insulin resistance? That's the key. Yes. Yeah. So we know now in PCOS, there's a there's different categories of PCOS. So we try to we try to focus on what women. Are facing rather than just putting them all in the PCOS box. So some women with PCOS do not have insulin resistance, but they still meet the criteria, which is that I designed, you know, developed by an international body of experts. So, so if you if a woman has PCOS with insulin resistance, say for example prediabetes, which I should have mentioned as a true risk factor, uh, or obesity and um, and some other features of insulin resistance, yeah the risk is significantly elevated, mm -hmm. absolutely. And then how does diabetes affect fertility? Uh, and or are there common comorbidities like obesity can affect fertility? We talked about that before, but how would you mm -hmm. capsulize that? Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's, a good, it's a good question. I, I think that uh, diabetes type one and type two decreases um, fertility, increases the risk of miscarriage also. But fertility issues are more likely in people with diabetes. Um, the, you know, the, the, the common thing that we face is um, it, women with diabetes we know are, are more likely to be anovulatory. So, uh, and, and that's kind of complex, you know, it depends on glucose control to some extent. But, you know, some women are restricting their diet to manage their diabetes. We know that that state of sort of undernutrition will increase the risk of um, of anovulatory cycles, not having normal mens menstrual periods. On the flip side, women with obesity, so overnutrition, will also increase the risk of not having normal um, ovulation. So it's really about 
that. It's about abnormal ovulation, similar to the PCOS patient. And women are often seeking um, help with fertility. And so with the BMI ballpark that you start to worry, over 30? Yeah, I would say over 30. Mm -hmm. That's a good one. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so PCOS is a common comorbidity of obesity and type 2 diabetes. And, you know, when you think about it, um, and with all the uh, men and women patients, you know, I I would think that one of the most common um, other issues that diabetic patients face is just downright depression. It's a tough life. I think people out there think, oh, well, you have to eat less candy. It's a whole lifestyle. We talked to Iron Andy last week who did 10 um, Mm -hmm. Ironman uh, uh, triathlons. He checks his blood sugar 70 times during the bike, just the bike race. I mean, these people are so, so, uh, but you don't have to be tied to your disease, but you can't ignore it. And uh, it it affects everything they go to do. So I guess, um, it's established that it's more common in those who suffer from diabetes, but they also maybe have more issues with uh, eating disorders, anxiety, substance mm-hmm. uh, misuse. And uh, right. one of the things that I had a few patients with was diabulimia. And I think people need to hear that. Mm-hmm. Bulimia, of course, means someone who makes themselves uh, vomit to control their weight. Tell us about diabulimia. That's something that's yep. different. Yeah, you know, actually, when you when you consider the definition of bulimia, it kind of includes any kind of restrictive behavior around food with the idea, with the goal of weight loss or some, weight loss is generally the most common goal. So diabulimia is, is um, a different kind of manipulation. It could be nausea vomiting or inducing vomiting after large intake of meals. But what it is in, in essence is, intentionally causing high blood sugar which and, and not using enough insulin which women learn early on women and men it causes weight loss and why does it cause weight loss weight loss because it sort of sets up the body for um, both getting rid of a lot of water so it's a diuresis when your sugar's high your blood sugar your um, body's getting rid of water and sugar but also your body thinks you're starving if you don't have enough insulin floating around for the sugar in there and your body goes into starvation mode it starts taking fuel out of your fat um, and hence you lose fat and it can be very quick you know weight can melt off mm-hmm. so diabulimia is an intentional um, misadministration of insulin to cause weight loss if that makes mm. sense oh yeah. and you could see so i guess and it's not just adolescent girls we know that young men people Absolutely. of all ages can do it but would it make us say we should screen all of our patients especially younger women who are constantly barraged mm-hmm. with pictures of perfect bodies should we screen for these eating disorders i'm sure you do oh yeah for sure any mm-hmm. any individual uh, who takes insulin the first thing, and I should say specific to type one, really, um, what you need to do as a clinician is walk that, have them walk you through their daily food intake. Just one visit, just see if it, if there's any red flags, you know, mm-hmm. um, are they, are they um, eating excessively at certain times? You can see their blood sugar going up at certain times. You can ask them why, why is that happening regularly? You know, and if, and if the A1C, blood A1C test is very high and the patient is very uh, resistant to increasing insulin doses, that's the number one red flag. Yeah. You gotta worry yeah. about it. 
it's just heartbreaking, I'm sure. And I know you probably yeah. handle them beautifully. Let's take a little break and we'll be right back for our last segment with Dr. Marie McDonald. Thanks for listening to Your Radio Doctor with Dr. Marianne Ritchie, presented in part by Recovery Centers of America. When needed, call RCA 1-888-RECOVERY. Welcome back to Your Radio Doctor. Marie, we talked about diabetes and pregnancy, eating disorders, and all these issues, but one of your uh, areas of interest is diabetes and cancer. Tell us about that, if you would. Sure, love to. Um, so there are really two main aspects of, of diabetes and cancer in the link. One is that people with diabetes are at increased risk of several types of cancer, and we need to and we think that actually there's some data showing that glucose control and exercise impacts that risk. Um, and then on the flip side, um, we have cancer treatments can cause diabetes. Uh, and, and we could talk a little bit more about that. And we, we actually know that glucose control is important for outcomes in cancer. Um, maybe because of, you know, if you're surviving your cancer, you want to also be able to survive, do well with your diabetes and not that have that catch up with you. So there's two things. It's it's risk of cancer when you have diabetes. And when you have cancer, you're at risk of diabetes. Um, bottom line is these patients are very special and they need special care. Uh, we need to recognize um, the the um, you know the really the scary factor of cancer and, and just make sure people with diabetes they need to get their regular screening tests. It's much more critical for a woman with diabetes to miss a mammogram. I mean she just can't do that. And and similarly anybody with their colonoscopies, right? So we have to have a, a high alert there. And what would you say, breast cancer, colon cancer? What are the more common cancers that have an increased risk? Right. So m most of the adenocarcinomas. So these are tissues mm. like like in the breast, in the colon, the the rec rectum, the pancreas. Actually, um, really the the GI tract in general, um, and and definitely endometrial cancer. Also, we see increased risk with diabetes. Maybe a unique area, unique cancer there um, related to to insulin levels. Mm -hmm. um, so, so yeah, those are the main ones, and, and they're pretty common. Uh, now, on the other side, we don't really see a risk, increased risk in melanoma, uh, not so much with lung cancer, for mm -hmm, example, mm -hmm. or prostate, definitely not prostate. So screening, screening, screening for everyone, but especially somebody who's already at, at an increased risk, and um, maybe getting those screenings will help keep a better eye on your blood sugars, frequent visits to the doctor, hopefully we'll catch uh, issues mm. earlier. So if, right. if you were to leave people with a few pearls, what would they be? Sure. Right. Well, big, you know, glucose control. We talked about that. It's not easy to do, but it's a, it's a very worthwhile goal. You got to do what you can do, get your family around you to help you achieve glucose control for any, um, for any part of your life, any aspect of your life to, to live a healthier life. Uh, and, and, you know, in pregnancy, we talked about getting control before the pregnancy starts and, um, and being ready, you know, for insulin. I think when you have diabetes type two and you're not taking insulin, be ready for it in pregnancy and, and work with a dietitian. Dietitians are really critical for, um, for people who are dealing with diabetes, especially when they're faced with something like pregnancy or like we mentioned, cancer. Work with somebody who can help you learn 
you know, better approaches to food. Uh, and, and that's really, that's really it. Well, you can do this, you know, we can do this. We can do it together and know that there are wonderful support groups out. I opened the show with the executive director in our area uh, from JDRF, Juvenile Diabetes Research Foundation. Beautiful support systems, not just for the patient, but their family members as well. Everybody is hurting when there's a diabetic uh diagnosis in the yeah. family you would say you've yeah well thank you. i agree with that thank you so much for joining us you are such a gift and and we want to remind patients that the risk factors for gestational diabetes watch your weight know your family history know your family history and uh you know if you're a little bit older getting pregnant all those things dr marie mcdonald you're a superstar thank you two two <laughs> visits you're you're our doctor of the year ah <laughs> oh, thanks marianne you're the best all take right. care and now for your real champion i call this segment captain chucky Earlier this summer, I was riding my bike when I noticed a new shop in Ocean City, Captain Chucky's. I thought, that's the place Dom Giordano always talks about in his show on WPHT. Dom G raves about Captain Chucky's crab cakes. That night, we feasted on the best crab cakes I've ever tasted, and now we're hooked. Every time I visit the shop, I find another treasure. More recently, I learned that Chuck Wojciechowski has a heart that's bigger than any jumbo crab cake in the display case. His website offers a program for fundraising to help schools, churches, nonprofits. In one year alone, he can raise money for over 300 organizations. As a small boy, Chuck learned the value of discipline from the nuns at Our Lady of Charity School in Brookhaven. Years of faith-filled education would lay the groundwork for his successful life in business. Be good and others will follow. The door to his restaurant business opened when he worked at Woj's Hoagies, his dad's shop. It was love at first bite when 15-year-old Chuck took an order for a tuna hoagie from 14-year-old Nancy, his future bride. You can't put mayo on a hoagie, he chided, and they've been collaborating on recipes ever since. The young entrepreneurs took the taste of Philly to Arizona in the late 70s and stayed for a decade. They quickly converted those western hearts to the prize-winning taste of hoagies, scrapple, and Taylor pork roll. They moved back east and success continued. Three restaurants and a gradual move to seafood markets, now 14 in number. Chuck returned to his grade school and began a tradition of preparing a Christmas feast for the eight elderly nuns to say thank you. One of them, Sister Marita, began to visit his shop on a regular basis. When she was transferred to another school, Chuck added that group of sisters to his Santa list. And when Sister Marita moved to Camilla Hall for retired nuns, he gladly added those 200 sisters to his annual list. Now for 27 years, Chuck and Nancy and their daughter Kim have continued the Yuletide tradition with lobster tails, filet, stuffed mushrooms, three desserts, along with a toast to celebrate the birth of Jesus. Did I mention that he brings some of the Polish-American string band, a magician, strolling minstrels to entertain? Chuck and Nancy considered it a joy, a special way to thank the nuns who devoted their lives to teaching in Catholic schools. They're also grateful to the nuns as a continuous source of prayers for their family. Chuck and Nancy have oodles of family members, friends, even business acquaintances that want to volunteer, and they never turn anyone away. If you're not cooking or serving, sit and chat with the sisters, many who never have company. Chuck says, we never ask people to volunteer. They have big hearts and want to do it. We can't take credit for all this work. We have access to food, and it gives other people the opportunity to help. 
At two other times during the year, Chuck makes 4,000 pounds of chili that he donates to homeless shelters in Kensington and Wilmington. About 20 volunteers meet him in the kitchen at his large shop at 4.30 a.m., and by 10 a.m., the chili's ready to deliver. At a local auction, they donate a six-course dinner that raises thousands of dollars for a shelter for battered women in Rock Hall, Maryland. They sell T-shirts to raise money for Children's Tumor Foundation. And as we speak, 1,000 turkeys are sleeping in his freezer waiting to be donated for Thanksgiving. Though Captain Chucky prepares the most delicious crab cakes in the Delaware Valley, Chuck Wojciechowski is anything but crabby. He's proud of his business, but exudes joy when he talks about volunteering. When I met Chuck and Nancy, I was impressed and humbled in so many ways. They don't want to be recognized. They find happiness in giving. I was especially moved when Nancy said, people ask how they can repay us. Her response, don't thank me. Someone else will pay me back by doing something nice. I asked where they got the nickname Captain Chucky. He said, I don't remember, but there was a twinkle in his eye when he turned and called Nancy the admiral of his ship. Their love is boundless. Their generosity is contagious. We salute you, Chuck and Nancy Wojciechowski. You're real champions. Thanks to our exclusive sponsor, Independence Blue Cross, and for support from Recovery Centers of America and Rothman Orthopedics. Thank you for joining us each Sunday. All of our shows are posted on yourradiodoctor.com and odyssey.com. Follow us on Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram, Twitter. Tell us about a champion. Send a suggestion for a medical topic to info at yourradiodoctor.com. Please don't delay. Get your flu shot. This is the month we're reminded to be thankful. Do something nice for someone this week. There's a chill in the air, so cozy up and keep it here for the sounds of Sinatra. This is your radio doctor, Dr. Marianne Ritchie, wishing you a wonderful and safe week. Always here to remind you that your health is your wealth. Thanks for listening to your radio doctor, Dr. Marianne Ritchie, a Jacob Media production. If you're interested in learning more about the power of the radio hour, contact Joe Kraus at 267-261-3428. This program is a paid commercial announcement and in no way represents the views of WPHT or its management. Today's program has been pre-recorded.